Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mokigana Harrington. Join on this Saturday morning by the man himself. He comes to us with a cup full of hidings and WrestleNomics. He is Mr. Brandon P. Uncoopted or Thurston. Mm-hmm. Brandon, how are you today? I'm great. My my cup is full of Christmas tidings and WrestleNomics, which are individual objects, as you know. They are they are hard copies of spreadsheets that are just crumpled up and, and tossed into the cup. And we're here. WrestleNomics are like Bitcoin. They, they Bitcoin. exist on on cloud drives. I see that flutter between people and have value only because we create value by thinking that there's special numbers within. Them. So, so the the, the uh, these spreadsheets will be worth a great deal soon, very soon. Well, they already are, but the problem is that uh, the value to them is is completely relative. Mm-hmm. So, someday the 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 lacrosonomics will overtake the Russellnomics coin, mm-hmm. and uh, will we'll have no value whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, I had big plans today to drive to Hamilton, Ontario. Looks like I don't have to do that now. I do not have to pick up one Kikutaro and take him over the border. Uh, does that mean you're taking two Kikataros over the border, or like three Evisons? No, no, just to, one. It's like a, it's like an introductory. In case you don't know who this person is, I don't have to take him over the border and uh, bring him over to do a, a training seminar because uh, he, uh, he, he, he forgot his passport on the table. He's got to fly back on his way back right now to get his passport. So, you know, was it? Uh, is is her name Jordan Ash? Am I getting that name right? Who's this? Jordan Grace. Jordan Grace? Jordan Grace, yes. Mm. Um, Jordan Grace has that book that she sells. Yes, DMs. In the appearances of all the creepy DMs that she's received. Yep. I would like some wrestling promoter to put together the giant book of wrestler excuses of all the bizarre travel things that people have. Because I've heard all of them like over the years of like, oh, I overslept my flight, man. But don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and I'll be there and it's not a problem. Or like... Oh man, you wouldn't believe it. I, I showed up to the airport and I was in security for three hours and they didn't let me through. Like, uh, remember Matt Seidel had a whole thing with that with the airport in Florida? No. Um, what happened? Oh, he just, he showed up and he was stuck in security too long and he was, he missed his international flight. You're not Which referring. almost happened to me this week when, when I was, I was in an airport and, uh, uh, I, like I, I think I said to someone, the Newark airport is, uh, the training wheels for purgatory if mm-hmm. it wants to become hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you go there late at night, it was insane. And then, like, I just saw things I'd never seen before in my life. People just cutting through all the line, wandering up, and just trying to hand a printout to, like, the TSA agent and be like, hey, we need to go through. And they'd be like, no, you don't have a badge? You don't have any ID? No, you cannot go through. And they'd be like, I was told I could go through. And then just, instead of this, like, ending, just everyone sitting there and debating this, like, this is a real possibility for a long time. Really, so it was insane. Yeah, but uh, how about you? Uh, without this, without this extra strike on your Canadian U.S. record, uh, are you going to spend the rest of your day doing something productive, going to farmers markets, perhaps? Well, there's a, there's a black craft show at Buffalo River Works today, and some of the, the wrestlers who we train with will be wrestling on it. So I'll check that out now that now they have a little bit of free time here. Um, but I'm sorry to hear that your your trip through the Newark Airport was was delayed because of your uh, your possession of marijuana cartridges. That's unfortunate. But uh, un untrue in any way. I do not have marijuana vaping cartridges. That that no, is that a thing? I thought you you said you had the same problems that Matt Seidel had. No, I do not. <laughs> is that really why he got stuck in Japan in the end? 
I believe so. Oh, that makes more sense. I never, I never really got the full story on that. No, I will not. I, I, I uh, will not be bringing any vaping materials. I, we, I work. I have a coworker who mm-hmm. um, uh, is from Denmark, but she lives in Florida, and she brings her vaping thing with us every time she comes sees us in Minnesota. And I've never seen something that looks more like a bomb because <laughs> it, it looks like a mega, like kind of like a phone and a flash drive in one. Mm-hmm. But then on top of it, she has kind of like a little like LED display on it. Oh, yeah. But the, it kind of looks like an old school bomb where it'd be like, imagine like a stick of dynamite, but then it has like the the timer on it that's like counting down, like it's going to explode like a James <laughs> Bond movie or something. It looks like that. Really? And it's the it's the most suspicious looking device I've ever seen in my life. And okay. she's always like, I get stopped every time. I don't know why. And I was like. I know why. That is the most suspicious looking thing I've ever seen in my and life. And it's got like it a tube looks, coming out of it, right? With the mouthpiece. Oh, it's got tubes and drives. It's got wires. It's got flashing lights that like just randomly turn on and like flash at you once, like the time. And hmm. it's really suspicious looking. So I'm not surprised. So no, I, I don't vape. I don't do any of that. I did <laughs> yesterday go to Austin, Minnesota. Austin, Minnesota, famous for dot, dot, dot. I have no idea. Why do you think I showed you that figure before the, uh, um, Spam. Spam, that's right. I went to the Spam Museum mm. in Austin, Minnesota. I picked up some Spam spread. Um, I got to watch commercials about Spam from different countries of the world. Japan, South Korea, um, of course, Hawaii, where it's very, very popular. Um, Is there vegan and, uh, Spam? Pardon me? Is there vegan Spam? Um, There's turkey Spam. There's... So no. There's things that are like vegan Spam. But that would just be sad. I did pick up some hickory smoke spam. I was pretty excited about that. So you and have I a lot of spam. I got my, my figure here. My, um, my, uh. That only uh, I can see. Look at that. His name is, is, is Spamusu. And it's a sushi roll with spam on it, which is, is, uh, like a Hawaii. Is that what that is? That's, so yeah. it's, what you have there is a stuffed toy with like, uh, yeah, with, uh, with, with, with one of those black, uh, like when you, when you have sushi and it's wrapped in like the, the binder, black seaweed. Yeah. yeah. yeah the seaweed binder. So he's got like a, a a strip of black seaweed around his his waist that says spam across it, and he's got arms that look kind of creepy. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet a picture out of him a little bit later. But yeah, I went to Austin, Minnesota. My wife got her first tattoo ever, so maybe really? she can wrestle on the br- black craft show now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you think the ratio of guys with no tattoos to with tattoos on this show is going to be? Um, do you think there'll be a single wrestler with no tattoo? Oh yeah, I think John Morrison's going to be there. I don't know if he has any tattoos. Um, yeah, I mean, this was, this was kind of raised. Yeah. There's some people who are very non-goth who are on the show. Let's see here. What is it? Uh, does John Morrison have a tattoo? Are you, are you asking Google that right now? We, we answer in, uh, oh, that's not going to help me at all because, uh, uh, I get all sorts of Jim Morrison things then. Oh, uh, you gotta put wrestling in there or something. You're at, you're asking this question to Google as if Google will, will, will know the answer. You're right. I should ask it to Amazon Echo. Yes. I haven't plugged in my Amazon Echo in months. Really? Yeah. Oh, my wife is obsessed with um Yeah, so yeah, my wife is obsessed with with like interconnecting our entire house. So soon the NSA will have no problem getting their Russell Lomics fix every day cuz we'll have a smart speaker in every single room. Yeah. But no, my Christmas tree is set up. So if you said, "Alexa, turn on the Christmas tree." Right now the Christmas tree just turned on in the other room. Um and we just set up, um, we just re- like did my whole basement over again where we added, we built, uh, uh, one of those fake fireplaces and we took my laser displayer down there and added this enormous TV and it's very nice. So 
we did that. My my wife got a, a very nice tattoo to um, honor her brother. Um, it was going to be his birthday yesterday. So we, we went down there and worked with um, the Corpus Opus tattoo, and they have a project called the Warrior Ink Project. Um, and so they did a really, really wonderful job of making this like compass tattoo thing for my wife that, that also incorporated part of his tattoo in it. So that was oh, really, okay. really, really thoughtful. Nice. And uh, that was fun. And then we, we were across the street from the Spam Museum, so I had to go. Sad to go across the street, like in Austin, Minnesota, is not the most happening place. How far is that from St. Paul? About an hour and a half. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was it was a hike. It was definitely a hike, but um, no, it's it was um, it was a very uh uh, productive time, and so it's been productive here in the house. Yeah. Speaking of NSA eavesdropping, did you did you watch the uh, Google CEO Sundar Pichai uh, testimony before the? uh, I didn't. The House Judiciary Committee, and it was. It was not a big deal. I don't know. He was every answer was, oh, but Congressman, uh, it's it's you have to understand that it's really. Like- yeah. There's a great frontline piece about Facebook, a uh, two piece one that I highly, highly recommend people check out. And then there's been a couple other like ProPublica independent lens pieces that have been good, including the one about the Philippines um, and democracy or it's really interesting because it's about basically the people whose job it is to clean social media. And the point is that a lot of that's been outsourced to firms in like the Philippines. And so their job is basically to sit there and decide what is and isn't vulgar, obscene content or violating of some other rule. And it's, it's not Facebook itself doing it. It's these other firms in the Philippines. And then they get into other things about like the extradition judicial killings in Philippines and specifically around the the journalist there who's been really critical of the president and she was just named one of the time people's uh times people of the year um was was that that journalist from the philippines and so maria uh, reza yeah so so um what i'm trying to get at is pbs has been killing it lately so if you want like the best mm-hmm. the best stuff to watch uh you can you can cancel that linear television subscription you don't need any of these ott services just get a yeah. get a connection to the pbs uh thing and it's always full of good stuff and and if you never don't know where to start go and watch the front line called the tank man that's my favorite probably special of all time yeah P- pbs is the best and this is this is our uh monthly member drive so just uh send in your money send it in now because otherwise who knows maybe this won't pbs won't be here anymore and uh well, we're interrupting well, we your regular programming right our, now what we suspended our month our, our member drive for this month. We so did. I feel like we, we, did. we should be still continuing the fundraising spirit. You make those muscles work for people. Mm-hmm. You're basically a freeloader. If you're just listening to, to NPR and, and watching PBS for free. So we should probably talk wrestling as, as fun as fun as it is for you and I just to catch up. We do that on the other podcast. Uh, the, the, uh, did you know we did a two and a half hour podcast last week? We canceled this, uh, where we put postpone this, this Patreon show that we do. We usually do two shows, right? And but but do you know how long we recorded for last week? Two and a half hours. We could have done two shows last week. We could just split it Incorrect. up. Incorrect. Hmm? Incorrect. No, no. Because because when people pay the premium price, Brandon, they get the premium content. They so, got two and a half hours of Mookie like just wheeling and dealing content last week. You didn't get the premium content where. I sit there and I, I go through with my corporate sponsors. What points do you want me to hammer on and make sure that I get those fat cats happy so that they understand how I get co-opted correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did not use the, the premium fuel last week. That is true. Just standard fuel. <laughs> yeah, it was just standard. Um, so 
the big stories this week. Um, there, I tried to do some lawsuit lawsuit research before we started here, and the and second court of appeals was not working their website. And all you did uh, was sorry. end up accidentally spending money. Yeah, I spent like nine dollars on a search because I forgot to put in one of the fields to say World Wrestling. Uh, the second court of appeals wasn't working. There is a, a some update in that Punk Cabana case, you know. Oh, um, I believe that was dismissed by the judge and then somehow refiled in a different way. And since I haven't been able to get any of the documents yet, I just haven't felt comfortable pushing on that in the same way. There's actually been some movement in that Michael Elgin case. Do you remember that one where Michael Elgin yes. sued the woman who um, had said that she had been, you know, uh, basically abused or, or manipulated by him. And um, he, 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 he was, he was suing her, right? Yeah. So for damages, he sued the woman who had made these claims. Yes. And basically said that you're defaming me and it's, it's costing me business and you're contacting promoters or promoters are canceling on me because of this. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can tell, I haven't actually gone and looked at all the documents yet, but based on the names of the filings of the documents, I can tell that she has struggled to basically mount a, a credible, um, series of filings the way you need to, you know, getting, getting the right things put through at the right time that makes sense and kind of avoiding missing deadlines. So it's, it's, it's not looking great for her in the sense that it doesn't seem like there's been a great legal, um, strategy on her part to kind of counter the, the cadence of events that needs to happen around, you know, here's my response to this and here's my lawyer and here's this and here's that. Does she so, have a lawyer? Um, I think there have been people that have been, I, I think she took up a fund at one point and I think there have been some people to help, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, it, it's been very fuzzy. So I, I haven't read all the filings yet because they're not publicly available. I usually have to find some benevolent lawyer who is like registered in Missouri to get them for me. And I haven't made it a strong effort because it, it's one of these cases where it's very tangentially related to wrestling. Um, I think, I think the Elgin piece of it, it makes it related to wrestling. But at the same part, I'm not, you know, it's kind of like when you're reporting on people's divorces or something like there's also an element of it where it's not 100% in the public sphere about wrestling. So it's really straddling that line. I do think that this Elgin case um, was such a big talking point and it's such, you know, it's so similar to all the other things that are happening in society right now Mm -hmm. about bringing accountability to people and also talking about consent and other things that I do think that there's a story there. Um, but it's one of the harder ones to, to cover, especially when it's, it's kind of like a libel type thing where you don't want to say something either that's going to get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. Does he have much of a case though? I mean, we read the complaint months ago. Well, I mean, um, when I think we talked about it on that show, I'd have to go back to my notes, but one of the biggest things is basically, did you have an economic problem because of something someone said? Can you prove those two? And then two, were you a public figure? And, and what exactly does that mean? And so I think there's a, I think you could make a pretty good argument that he did have an economic, um, uh, deficit that was caused by this mm-hmm. because you could make a pretty good argument that promoters said, I don't want to book you because of this. You, not, not you might not be able to say that they didn't have other reasons of doing that or that he wasn't a public figure. Mm-hmm. And so that would really matter. But, um, and, was and then anything- just other things. And was there anything said that was untrue? I mean, yeah. And that's, that's the biggest part is truth is always a defense. If what you say is 100% true, truth is a defense. The challenge is it still might cost a lot to defend that truth. Yeah. So 
you know, when someone might seem like they're, they're struggling to, to uh, file all those things, it's, it's sometimes in, impediment. But mm-hmm. so those are the two cases. So I, what I'm doing right now is I'm reporting on the cases I'm not reporting on. So I'm telling you that there's been developments in the Cabana Punk case. I'm telling you there's been some filings in the Elgin case, but I don't have all that at my fingertips to give you good updates except for to say, Hey, remember those things? They kind of been falling off people's radar, falling off people's minds. I just wanted to say that, yes, we still track them. Um, I still keep a, a big database of pro wrestling lawsuits at my pro wrestling wrestling research Google drive. And if you're not a member of that, uh, you can contact me and, you know, for a small donation uh, to kind of fund all those recap fees that I end up paying pacer fees. Um, we, uh, we can get you hooked up with that to uh, have a better understanding of what's happening. Including but the air and pacer fees that, that Mookie accidentally charges himself. No, I, you know, the amount of money I charge people for this, I, I take it on the nose mostly. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. But we're re- what we're really here to talk about today is WB viewership at a record low. And I have been assigned, I was assigned, and I did watch the Eric Bischoff TED Talk. Oh, yes. my goodness. So, well, let's do ratings first. Yeah. So, you keep a spreadsheet of Showbuzz Daily, which yes. is a website that then publishes things like the P18 to 49 and the P2 Plus. What does P18 to 49 mean? People ages 18 to 49. And what does the P2 plus mean? People ages two and over. And the P18 to 49 is a number with a decimal, like 2.17. Which represents uh-huh. the percentage of that demographic that watched that show, I believe. Now, is that out of all television sets that are available or all television sets that are on at that time? Mm, is it coverage or household is what you're asking? Uh, I don't know. We should know things like that. Yes. This is the free up. show. Yes. Um, I'll see maybe if I can find uh, that piece of information. It's funny when you type in showbiz daily, the first thing that comes up is WWE. How is it? <laughs> so I, wow. I would bet you anything to get like half of their viewership, half of their like, you know, clicks are just about the fact that people love. Um, I, don't, I don't know because I think everybody's just getting them from yeah. the secondhand no. source, not the direct source. Very few people know where to actually find this, except for the people who report it. So it's live plus same day data. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't answer our question. That. But no, that, that, that is but... the timeline that it's collected at. So this does not include DVR viewership uh, unless that DVR viewership happened within the same day. I mean, my, my, my gut feeling is that it is people that are able to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. Fast Nationals, whatever that means. No, I don't know. I wish I could. I wish I was better at this stuff. So frustrating when you're trying to understand this. But the the point being, yeah, both demographic information and we have overall number of eyeballs divided by. And then um, what you do is you collect this. We have it going back to mid-September 2014. Gone all the way back. Of, that's everything that's we, on that website for just for Raw and SmackDown. They report all the cable ratings every day for, I believe, the top 250 cable uh, programs of the day. But I'm just going back. I've gone back and I've collected everything for Raw and SmackDown. And they go all the way back, as you just said, to September 2014. So that's what we got. We have have Q4 of 2014 through part of Q4 of 2018. Mm -hmm. So 
What's great is that we have 2015 over 2014, 2016 over 2015, 2017 over 2016, 2018 over 2017. So we have a lot of different comparison numbers to look at. And what's interesting is that we have it for Raw, we have it for SmackDown. So the first thing we should probably talk about is uh, just people. So people over the age of two who are watching Raw or SmackDown, what has been the trend in October, November, and... um, Maybe if you have it thus far in December, I can calculate it if you don't have it. I don't have it for December. We're only halfway through December, obviously. But before I I tell you about the monthly breakdown, so this was on December 10th, the lowest viewership that we have on the table here. So probably the lowest of all time for Raw for over over three hours is an average of 2.2 million, really 2,194,000 only, uh, which, which beat out the previous week, which was the other which was the low up to that point that I've got on, on this table here. So, so raw viewership at an all time low, uh, whatever that means in, in this media landscape that we live in today, George. So, but yeah, November was down from last year's November up to 17%. And, uh, that, that's, uh, that's compared to October, uh, down 14% from last year's October. And we t- kind of talked about this in our build-up to the Q3 report, which was July through September, how ratings were down in Q3, and ratings were down from down 10% in July, down 12% in August, down 8% in September. And like I said, that trend is continuing, down 14% in October, down 17% in November. And and, uh, and December, December, we're looking at about 18 and a half if you do a like-to-like comparison. Just for the first, so, what is it, two weeks here? Yeah, so if you just want to look at the first two weeks, um, in 2014, you had 3.7 viewer, 3.7 million. 2015, you had had about 3.5. 2016, you had about 2.9. 2017, you had about 2.75. And this year, you have 2.25. Yeah. And, so, and we're, we're just talking about 19%. Yeah, and we're just talking about comparing the given month to the same month in the prior year. We're not talking about like, oh, it's down 10% every month consecutively, if you know what I mean. It's not like it's, oh my God, it's nose diving. It is down though, significantly. Yeah, I mean, last year, the in 2017, the year began at 3.2 million viewers and ended at 2.7. This year, we began at 3.36 million and we ended at 2.24. Now, I think that 3.36 might be inflated by the one week where wasn't it through the roof because it was, um, didn't they have another anniversary special? In January? On, yeah. In January you know, of this year, they did, yes. Yeah, because I see on Raw the 25. 20, yeah, I see on the 22nd of January, they did 4.15, 4.64, and 4.8 million viewers as three of their hours. So the, those were monster hours compared to it. But my point being that every year we start at, you know, as high as, as 3.4 million. And then we fall as low as two, 2.2. And last year we saw 3.2 down to 2.7. The year before is 3.6 down to 2.9. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we usually do lose about 800,000 viewers. And if anything, it's kind of remarkable that December can be as low as it is and January can be as high as it is just to really speak to how much we've conditioned the wrestling fan to say, I'll come back after football's done or mm-hmm. I'll come back after when a Royal Rumble's coming around or yeah. whatnot. So. Well, that's why we're looking at this by month too, by the way. So we're not just comparing, like, look at what happened in August and now look at what happened in September. We're looking at what happened in, in this year's September versus last year's September because raw ratings and a lot of things, a lot of metrics throughout WWE's business 
are very seasonal. So we try to look at the same month across years or the same quarters across years to, to take that seasonality into account. And that's just raw we're talking about there. Uh, SmackDown so far is averaging in December under 2 million viewers for the first time ever, I, I, at least as far as the data we have. And I think that's ever, ever, because over the course of many years, over the course of decades, that SmackDown has been around that the, the viewership has declined. Although we, we do see a good increase in reaction to the, or at least in correlation to the uh, brand split in July 2016. But uh, in, in October, down 8% versus last year's October, down 16%. Versus last year's November. And do you have December for the first two weeks? Um, Smackdown? For Smackdown, yes. You're asking about that. I'm asking a question that you might know the answer to if you have the spreadsheet in front of you. Yeah, I'm not in any way just stalling at this moment as I'm I'm responding to you (laughs) to quickly complete this table. No, I'm in fact pulling up the table (laughs) that I've already completed. So the average viewership for December in 2017 was... Yeah. 2.5 million. 2.5525. So what I see is you said October was like maybe 8% off, right? October was down 8%. November down 16%. About 16 and a half? Yes. And then I would say December for the same time period, the same couple first weeks of the year. Yeah. It was down 21%. 21%. We were at, we were at 2.4 million in 2016. We're at 2.48 million in 2017 and we're at 1.96 million people for 2018 so we're down 21 percent. so not a pretty picture yeah i've got a bigger um, drop on the table of uh was it november 2014 to november 2015 down 25 percent. so not an unprecedented month over month yeah because we went from 2.5 million to 2.089 million but so we lost about 500,000 viewers but this time we lost about 500,000 viewers so between 2014, 2015, we lost half a million. Between 2017, 2018, we lost another half million. Yeah. So what does um, this mean? This well, is, actually, this is very similar half a million because they both they they both had similar baselines. Yeah. What actually, do you mean? Well, let's, well, let's get into I, demographics first before we try to. Yeah. Analyze well, it. I was going to say I think demographics starts to tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. So you know when you look at kind of the um the the, the combined information, Q1 we are down maybe one percent. Q2 we are down maybe three percent. Q Three, we're down maybe 10%. Q4, we're down maybe 12%. If you're just kind of putting those quarters together and you're using my adjustment to say, we'll throw out the last couple of weeks of December, which in general is actually a fair thing to do just because the timing of Christmas Eve is so, and New Year's Day and all that is so variable. And they're doing tape shows this year, aren't they, for Christmas and uh, New Year's, I believe. So it could be yeah. even worse. Maybe they're kind of throwaway shows or... And so where, where do, where does Christmas and, uh, New Year's fall on the calendar this year? Uh, Christmas is on a Tuesday, New Year's and New Year's is on a Tuesday. And so that makes Christmas Eve and, and New Year's Eve on Mondays. So this could be, yeah, th- I mean, those ratings could be even worse because of that. Exactly. They fall, they fall That's right on the holidays. It's, it's probably actually fair. The most fair you could be is probably actually just stopping the clock at about two weeks into December. Yeah. It could be generous. It'd be, ge- it'd be generous at the least, probably. Yeah. yeah. So. What, where, what is, how does this split? So, like I said, in Q1, it was down maybe 1%. The men in Q1 were actually up 2.5%, but the women were down 6%. The, um, in Q2, we were down about 3%. The men were up 4%. The women were down 13%. This is for raw. Mm-hmm. For Q3, it was negative 10%. The men dropped 5%. The women dropped 18.7%. 
So in each one of these cases I've said so far, the women's attrition has been 3x that of men. Boy, um, I, I, I have Dave Meltzer on the phone here. He's saying that's because of the hours in, in Ron, the thir- third hour attrition drop-off rate. No, Is that true? No, no it's not true. In, in, for instance, in Q2, hour one was negative 15% for women. Hour two was negative 13% for women. Hour three was negative 11% for women. Well, the men were up three to six and a half. So this is across all, it's pretty consistent across all hours. Yeah. You're not seeing, I mean, there are some hourly trend lines, but I I can't say that I'm not seeing a lot of examples here where it's positive, positive, negative, where you'd say, Oh, it's because on this hour they get bored. No, occasionally you'll see something like, um, you know, maybe the, the magnitude of the drop is a little different between the three hours, but it's usually always the same. Absolute. They're both either negative, both either positive. But so, for so, Q4, this most latest quarter, men are down 11.5%, women are down 13%, and overall we're down negative 12. Now, it's also important to mention the ratio between men and women. So a male demographic watching Raw in, in quarter um, four of 2018 is about a 1.06, and a women are 0.61. So if you were to say, what's that uh, ratio there, 0.61 divided by 1.61, you know, let it would be, that right. if we had a calculator, by, that ratio would be 36% okay. for women. So, and that's, that's about in the range that we've talked about is that in general, we think of women being somewhere between 30 and 40% of the WWE audience. Mm-hmm. It depends on whether, you know, you got the total divas effect. It depends on whether you're looking at all programming, but if you're to say raw in general, maybe 35, 65 might be where we're sitting today. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that number's always been that consistent. Wait, but, wait, Dave Meltzer sent me another mental note. Is it because of the decline in ratings of Total Divas and Total Bellas? Maybe. I mean, that's not ridiculous to say that that if those shows do worse, that we wouldn't see as many women translating into the interest in general. Mm-hmm. But do I really think that that is the most important thing? No, I think the most important thing is having a compelling program that, that people want to watch mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, I'm, I'm looking here. It's, it's also kind of interesting when I, when I do just the ratio on the demographics, it's really been pretty consistent. It start sometimes it goes as low as 35%. Sometimes it goes as high as 40% female viewership. We're at 37 this last year, Q4, but this last year has been 36.4, 35. 35.7, 35.9, 36.8. If, so, if so I'm allowed to add these two demographic numbers together and then divide by what proportion is women. Yeah. Um, so what that tells me is we're not seeing big, big swings. What we're seeing is is that women are starting to tune out more. Um, some of it is all that when you compare 2018 to 2016, you get kind of back to a very similar pattern where like men dropped last year and women are dropping this year. But I, I will always bring this up as an example when people say, well, look at the women's revolution. Look at this. Look at that. And say, then explain to me why in the year you spent more on women than ever. And I would say that's probably true because if you think about how expensive Ronda Rousey is, mm-hmm. you've probably spent more on women than ever. Maybe maybe for a, a high sable contract or something, you might have spent more for a single woman at a time, but not more than Ronda Rousey. Um, but in general, just you think of the number of women that you're, you know, when you're able to run a Royal Rumble with all women, it says a lot about the number of women you're putting on your roster. I mean, the um, roster is as, as big as it's maybe ever been, certainly since in decades. If you include all developmental, yes. Yes. Um, but 
my point being, you're spending more on women probably than you ever have. And yet female viewership is, is tuning out at double digits. Mm -hmm. And that's a little surprising to me. I, I guess it's incongruous in certain aspects. I mean, other people tell me I'm wrong on that. So well, you're doing serious, a- you're doing more serious women's wrestling than ever. We, we talked about that scholarly article last week, and, and but still about how mm, it's not, uh, the women's revolution still has a lot of, uh, w- weird stuff in it. And like, you know, James Ellsworth climbing a ladder and things like that. And, uh, women not being presented still as, as seriously as the men, but. And, and this is not just raw. I see this on SmackDown too. There's double digit female decline in, in, in SmackDown. Even on Becky Lynch's raw, uh, SmackDown. Yeah, down 16% in Q1, down 13% in Q2, down 13% in Q3, down 9% in Q4. Mm-hmm. And if you want to then make a big deal about the fact that you didn't drop as much in Q4, and you want to say that means because Becky's working, then fine. But what you really did is you Q3, you averaged a 0.56, and Q4, you averaged a 0.56. Last year, it went from 0.64 to 0.61. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the attrition actually dropped. Uh, the attrition is down than what it was previously. Um, so maybe... Maybe you can make an argument that it's a better motion than when it's the Junior Mahal show. But um, overall, I still think you're, you got some pretty alarming trends. And again, I, I, I'm not trying to argue even that the women's revolution is only meant to bring in female viewers. Because, you know, there is similar to one of the articles we talked about yesterday. There's different reasons people watch wrestling. And I, I fully believe that a, a really good wrestling promotion does not just appeal to people who only see people on television that look like them. I think that they're interested in the entire kind of category of things. And I, I talk to people about this sometimes about, you know, it's about rivalry. It's about competition. And it's about personalities. And whether you're, you're selling boxing or whether you're selling wrestling, those are very common things. You can argue about the results being um, fixed. But if anything, that should give you a benefit because, hey, this boxing match might end in a first round KO, but I can at least promise you that the main event of this wrestling show is probably going to go the full amount of time that we expected. Yeah. I, 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 we shouldn't be so fixated, I guess, on, on thinking about, uh, the female audience being so related and only related to what's happening with women's wrestling in, in WWE. I mean, the, you know, yeah. um, w- the female audience is, is probably interested in, in, what's happening with the men too, or, or maybe they're just so astute and they, they just know, you know, what, what, what crap it is on the men's side that they're just tuning out in, in, in quicker order than the men are about the men's wrestling. I don't know, but, but well, yeah. I think it just goes to the whole bigger question of like, you're selling a show and it are, are the elements of what you put into that show compelling enough to bring people interested to watch your, your thing. And at the same time, there's such a, there's such a duplicity to me about the fact that we, we have a women's revolution where we make a big deal about everyone being superstars. And at the same time, we have shows called Total Divas and Total Bellas. And so that the, the small amount of people that then we choose to highlight coming out of this, we A, still use that Divas moniker, which mm-hmm. they didn't want to use anymore. And B, you could argue the Bella Twins are probably still the people, like we talked about in the trademark summary last week, the Bella Twins are probably the people that are still most heavily marketed by WWE of anyone. In terms of actual intellectual property they they are being invested the most but it it's just a really interesting thing to me because i think as we talk about you know challenges with live event um performance as we talk about challenges with television ratings this would say to me anytime i'm seeing a double digit decline in single demographic 
that should at least highlight to me, hey, maybe I'm not doing enough to understand what is appealing about my product to these people. And I, I still will go back to, I still think we probably need more female voices in the creative aspects here in the ranks. You know, we need more, more uh, diversity in the ranks of the company. We need more female voices in the writing rooms and, and in other locations to help kind of feed in. Here's how we can make this more authentic, more interesting and more realistic in a way that's going to compel people to actually be, feel that there's authenticity in what we're presenting. And I think that's what might be lacking at this point is, is any kind of authenticity. I mean, we know there are some female executives like Michelle Wilson and Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon's not a part of the creative team. Uh, she, I'm sure she probably has input if she wants to, right? But she's not like the head writer or whatever her title was in previous years. Uh, and we don't know of any, I don't know of any female writers. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain there are a few. I, I, I remember at least one name that, that has been popped around before that I've seen. But so like, I'm, is I'm it somebody certain one or more, but the, the, it's, it is probably not proportional. The reputation I know of, of, of the writing team though, as yeah, there may be some people on the top who last a long time, but it's a, it's a high turnover rate. Like it's, so maybe there's a couple of female writers, but are they going to be around in a year? Were they around last year? You know? And, and nothing's a panacea. I'm just saying that that's an example of something where anytime I'm seeing double digit drops, that should be the thing that, that kind of nags at me. And it, it's, you could also make the argument that this is all about the lame duck session, that WWE wants to have a Q4 that is bland as possible so that when they come in next year with a hell of a, a debut on Fox on Friday nights, they can blow the numbers out of the water and they can make it seem like they've revitalized the product. So they're tanking the season. So they have a high draft pick. That's what you're saying. I don't know. You know, I honestly don't know if Vince ever wants to tank anything because I think he is too, too frustrated um, to be able to see things in that kind of a long view. But at the same time, you do sometimes get that itch that says, Hmm, it feels like, they they don't mind you know remember before smackdown was going to go live those couple that month it was in a holding pattern it was like it felt like a stagnant show mm -hmm. well so, well vince is going to be on raw that we're recording on this raw, on, which, on saturday which says to you usually you know didn't you know vince when he did that you um that xfl call remember what he said there he said to us this could be the last time you ever see me ever and, uh, you know, we'd seen, seen or heard that we were going to get less and less events going forward. So, you know, he does have a tendency to kind of try to pop the rating by coming out and try to make that a thing of himself whenever things are really not going well. So, um, there's at least some acknowledgement on his part that, uh, things are not where they want, he wants it to be. Yeah. And, and I didn't watch, uh, Raw this past Monday, but I heard that there was, there were some references to acknowledging that the show was bad. Yes, be, like when when um Seth Rollins or whoever was was fighting with Baron Corbin, he specifically said the ratings are at an all time low, and you're you're you know you're you're losing people and this and that. So it's kind of that weird work shoot uh, environment. Mm -hmm. of, Sound, of, it sounded of, very uh, WCW like, as I heard others say. Well, speaking of things that are WCW like, we can pivot at this point, should we? Should we? Are you are you ready? Well, it was mentioned as well. Uh, Dave Meltzer mentioned on Wrestling Observer Radio that Fox wants 3.3 million viewers for SmackDown when, when SmackDown goes to Fox in October 2019, which would be what would the average for December so far has been 1.963 million. So that's a that's a tall order. 
if that's true. But I, I think, but I think when you look at the difference between what is available on network and what is available on cable, you're already going to get at least a 25% boost. You think 25%? Yeah. So that's two and a half. I'm not, I'm not putting this up to 3.3, 3, but I'm mm-hmm. saying you're going to get at least 25%. So that's Cause the household difference is not that big, right? I mean, we're talking about USA network, 90 some odd million homes, uh, Fox, Versus, I think 140. Is it 140? I want to say it's something like that. Okay. So I, I think, I, I think it's enough. I think there's a pretty big difference between the two numbers. Um, I mean, you could, you could probably do a quick Google search for number of U.S. households with television, you know, and that's in theory what the number is. And so about 120 million, um, okay. total homes. So 120 million, let's say. And then the, the number we know for Fox is maybe 90, right? It's growing at maybe 1% a year. For you, for USA, you mean is 90 some odd. Yeah. Right. So 120 over 90 is about a third more. So again, my, my, my 2 million would become 2.66. So my two and a half million is probably not a ridiculous number. Mm -hmm. If you Google number of US households with television, you can go to buffalohistory.org and see that there's an entire thing at the Buffalo History Museum about the history of television. So that might be Brandon's next field trip here, is to spend some more time at the Buffalo History Museum. Well, I have to go there, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we think there's probably about 305 people, 300 um, million people in the U.S. Yeah. over TV households, but only households. There's only about 120 TV homes, mm-hmm. because most households are going to have one, one person inside them. Yeah. You know, For me, I have, like... 2.15, you know, me and my wife and, and Spamusu uh, here. Mm-hmm. I only have one. Just just, yeah. just just me and the cup. I don't think it counts. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a 1.05, okay. uh, the cup. Okay. The cup is considered, because it's facing the screen, it's considered to be watching. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, th- speaking of things that are WCW-like, so Eric Bischoff did a TED Talk. Now, was- did he do a real TED Talk, or is this one of these, like, TEDx? It's New TEDx. Hampshire. It's, it's Naperville. It's in Naperville, which is, um, there's a reference to Chicago in here. So I think that's near Chicago would, would be my guess. And this is on the TEDx Talks YouTube channel published November 30th, two week, okay. about two weeks ago. It's the a suburb in Chicago. Yeah. It is a, uh, almost 17 minute talk. Uh, and, um, Eric Bischoff starts this thing out and just berates the audience and makes everybody very uncomfortable. And, uh, he, you know, people, people are laughing and, uh, you know, trying to get into it and play along. And then he, he, he keeps interrupting them. No, it's not funny. It's not funny. And he, he likes, he starts to pick on like individual people in the audience in this sea of darkness. And, uh, it just gets very uncomfortable. And, uh, so he, uh, finally he, he stops. It's about three minutes of this too. He stops and says, Oh, I'm glad this part is over. And then there's just silence. And, uh, he says, so we'll play about a, a I don't know, a 30-second clip of this. So here we are. Now, I want to ask a question, though. Out of out of all of you in this room, is there anybody here, and be honest, is there anybody here that wanted to see security come and drag me off the stage? A few of you. I still got it! <laughs> Damn! <laughs> it's kind of like a golf swing, or riding a bike. Once you figure it out, it's hard to, it's hard to lose it. So Eric Bischoff still got it. He's still a heel. He's still over. He's still over. Yeah. And the Ted, 
I, I think sometimes we, we put a lot of, um, we, we treat it like it's a noble committee mm-hmm. where it's, it's oftentimes these very broad, independently organized events. And it's, there's very different standards about what, you know, what it really means to speak at one of these. But, um, no, I mean, he's, he's got an incredible story. I mean, when you think about the amount of, of control he had in the wrestling and influence he had in the wrestling industry in his life, mm-hmm. it is one of the highest, you know, that any one person has ever had up to that point. And, um, then even continuing on to work for his competitor. Um, you know, that said, I'm curious about what does he give a talk about here? Because it almost feels like, you know, we're, we're at that era where everyone's got a podcast and so shoot videos are dead. So this is the next generation, right? So now instead of doing the podcast, now you do the TEDx talk. So what does he talk about here? So his thesis is that, you know, pro wrestling and news media are more similar than you think. And pro wrestling doesn't make you want to think. It makes you want to feel. And that's what news media is turning into, he says. News media is trying to make you feel, not think. And uh, so you need to keep that in mind when you consume news media. It's really becoming more and more like pro wrestling, which in itself is not a terrible thesis. I think that's... No, no. I, I agree, actually, with the idea that we as consumers oftentimes ascribe nobility to the actions of of different sources of entertainment news as if they are meant to be held to a high standard mm-hmm. and if they're, and as if they're not meant to have advertisers and exist partially for the purposes of just trying to sell things like, you know, court TV is coming back. Is it? It's not, it, yeah, it so turned into true TV, didn't it? It did, but they're going to relaunch court TV. I don't know whether true TV is going away, but they were saying that court TV still had such an enormous amount of like recognition and it was really funny in the like news report about it because everyone's like, I didn't know it went away. And I was like, I know it went away. But they were saying like nowadays the true crime has grown so big. So many stations are like based on a true crime type format. Like there's wives with knives and uh, yeah. deadly rich and just a thousand other shows that um, they want to get back into it. And so there's that element to say, okay, are they getting back into it because they feel that the concern is that people do not understand the judicial and the legal system well enough. This is an opportunity for us to better educate the world or because the infotainment aspect of it is so great that right now they have this um, giant archive of old footage and we still have all these people who 20 years ago we were talking about, be it Bill Clinton or be it Bill Cosby or be it, you know, other people that are, are OJ Simpson that are still on the forefront of people's minds and they're willing to kind of consume information about that time period again, uh, as well as continue to follow the, the Casey Anthony type trials of today. Yeah. So it, it's just one of those things where like, if you think that court TV is in it to be a, a legitimate source about reporting on, on courtrooms, that's one take, but the more realistic take is probably there's profit to be had. Yeah. And anytime you think profits to be had, then you have to say, well, then we're fighting for eyeballs. And anytime you're fighting for eyeballs, then you got to be getting into the idea of saying, is it more important for me to inform you or to make you either feel good about what I say or to make you feel like you have to keep watching me? Mm-hmm. And more and more, that's what we see is this idea that we're reaffirming, like I said about Facebook and the documentary on Facebook that they have on um, Frontline that's really good, where they just talk about outrage, outright outrage drives engagement engagement is best driven by things that you either really agree with 
or like you like. So it's pretty, you know, it's it's kittens and boxes and babies or things that just make you outraged. Like, can you believe this person said this about Stan Lee dying? What a jerk. And then it gets you clicking and arguing and whatnot. And half the time you're like, yeah, that, that's virally fake. You know, it's just people trolling or, or people intentionally trying to drive it. And, and we see that was the engagement strategy for the Russians was that they were they would they would take up both sides of the cause for Black Lives Matter for the purposes of just trying to be like, what can we do to get these most people engaged? And we know that this is what's going to get them going. So I, I know I just kind of went off there for a second, but it's that idea to me that I, I think people who are shocked by the idea that the news media is not focused on what is most important for people to learn, but rather what personalities are going to best resonate with the audience that wants to watch them. What, what revenue stream do all of these situations and problems have in common? Do you know? Uh, Where are they getting their money from? Catheter ads? No. Well, y- yes, ads. Yes. Yes. Advertising. That's so, so why advertising, I don't know. We talked about last time, especially and now advertising is going to be so just personalized to me. They're going to know yeah. things about me so that they can manipulate me even more carefully. If you say manipulate, I would say target. Well, that would be, well, we can, semantics. I think that's a euphemism. I didn't send you that target uh, article, didn't I? I'll no, have to find that article. It's a good one it. to read. It's yeah. a very interesting one. Right yeah. now I'm reading um, a book about, uh, it's called uh, The Billion Dollar Whale. It's about a guy who basically defrauded Malaysia about a billion dollars and became a super party guy. And he was, he, he, he ended up funding Wolf of Wall Street of all things, like one of his things that he did, which is ironic in itself that it would be, you know, about fraud on Wall Street that he then was committing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, all I could think is, wow, get this guy into wrestling. Let Eric Bischoff and this yes. guy work on something. So anyway, Eric Bischoff had a TED talk and, yeah. uh, just to go through it quickly. Again, you can watch this yourself if you want to spend 16, 17 minutes of your life doing this. But he talks and, about- and if it was Patreon, we would have made Brandon watch it with you. Mm-hmm. We could have watched it side by side. Over Skype or something. Subscriber. Phenomenal feed. Or a, a member, member perk. They get to watch it alongside yes. Brandon. I'm okay with sub- subscription revenue. I'm, I'm more yeah. comfortable with that. But uh, uh, Eric Bischoff talks about, well, how, how did wrestling get so big? They, they didn't make you think. They made you feel. Which I – well, let me go through this and I'll take issue with, with certain things here. But uh, he says the news media doesn't want to make you think now. They want to make you feel. And as long as business is good, they're going to continue to do that. And this is he, – he's drawing on something that Vern Gagne told him once about – I guess he doesn't use – I don't know if he uses heel and face. But he's talking about how, whether they hate you or they love you. Baddies. Yeah. As long as they feel passionately about you, business is good. And he says it didn't used to be that way. I think he's referring to the news media and uh, to, to get these reactions from people, which are sort of like the reactions that he tried to get from people in the beginning. He says it's called cheap heat. Like that's how you get to, that's how you get people riled up. And he talks about how in news media, and I guess especially like in, in this, you know, cable news era that we live in, it's a lot cheaper to hire talking heads to talk about the news than it is to have people go out and report about it, which I think is a fair point. It's a very, I mean, you know what show had one of the largest investigative budgets? I don't. The Newsroom on HBO, which was a fake show. It was a sitcom, like an Aaron Sorkin sitcom. Mm. Not sitcom, but like, uh, that wasn't situational comedy, but it was like a drama. Mm. Um, and the whole idea was they decided that they were going to kind of straddle the line. And so they actually hired like an investigative reporter team to get information about stories and they'd weave that into the plot of their story. And they were saying how, like, you know, there's many 
people out there who are closing down their foreign bureaus and closing down their investigative corners. But yet this fake HBO show was the one, in fact, investing in that kind of area because they knew they could tell the story still in the context of the drama. Because you can still talk about, you know, Rohingyas in, in, in um, Myanmar. You can still tell that story as part of being a fake news show as well. Uh, and so they were doing that. And so it's the same thing with John Oliver. I mean, think about how much impact a comedy segment show has on HBO now. Uh, it, it, there's something to that there where it is it is very different that you have talking heads versus you have investigative pieces. And one of the reasons that I think um, I, I think we're seeing an increasing split in demographics where more and more older people are used to seeing these talking heads and consuming that as their kind of vision of, of interpreting things versus I think young people are still very interested in the idea of like the first person reporter who's out so. there and it's more the vice type approach, you know, where it's like you're embedded, you're in that area, you're doing it. And vice is another good example of an organization that was kind of using a non-standard model to try to say, we want correspondents who are going to go to Syria. We want people that are going to go to weird places and report on it firsthand and do that investigation that way, rather than just kind of having being a talking head on someone else's show. Yeah, that sounds like a, he a healthier way to to be become informed. Hopefully, I don't, I'm it's sure it's an expensive way, though. Yeah, well, and I'm sure Vice is, is getting a lot, if not most, of their revenue from advertise advertisements well, as well. And from HBO and from other big corporate sponsors who bought into them. Yeah. So anyway, Eric Bischoff makes some other points about how, hey, look, Donald Trump's in the in the WWE Hall of Fame. The president of the United States is, is a Hall of Famer in, in the biggest pro wrestling organization in the world. And Linda McMahon, who was the former CEO of WWE, is now a member of the cabinet. She's heading the, the Small Business Administration. And uh, I guess this is support, supposed to support his point that, look, the news media is becoming more and more like pro wrestling, or maybe the political world is becoming more and more like pro wrestling because we have W Hall of Famers and former W executives uh, with positions at a very high level in the federal government. Um so he says, next time you're angry watching the news, just remember, that's exactly the way they want you to feel. They don't want you to think. They want you to feel. And when Eric Bischoff sits down in the morning and he reads the news or consumes whatever news content he consumes, he doesn't specify whether he's reading Breitbart or, or, or NPR, but he says he reminds himself of that. As soon as they start to make him feel, he, he stops thinking. So he has to remind himself of that and not get too, I don't know, emotionally spun up about these things because he's... He has to remember that he's being manipulated. And then he closes, of course, with a picture of Abraham Lincoln. Say, look, Abraham Lincoln was a wrestler, too. As if it's this, like, this magnificent point that he's making that closes his, his talk. <laughs> That's it. And, and, and even that Lincoln wrestling thing is, is debated by historians about what exactly was the style he did and what would it meant and whatnot. I've, I've heard some of the more old school historians say that this might have been a bastardization of kind of what he was to say he was a pro wrestler. Yeah. But I, so I think uh, there's he, some fair points here. I don't want to totally bury it. It's a, it's, no. it's interesting and, and somewhat thought provoking. Um, I thought, I think, so that we're hearing from Eric Bischoff, the guy who, who uh, authored the book, uh, what it was listening to. Controversy book. equals Controversy cash. Equals cash. Or crates cash, maybe. Whatever. The, the point, the point remains the same in that, I think is one of the one of the big central problems and confusions that we have in, in pro wrestling is that like it, it, that 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 line and that line of argument implies that there's no such thing as bad heat 
any reaction is a good reaction. Yeah. And I think that's totally confused and totally antiquated and, and obsolete. We need to throw that idea away, especially in this era where people have it more in their minds. There's less mystery around pro wrestling than ever before. I know you can go back to the 30s and you can see people questioning the legitimacy of pro wrestling even back then. But people have it more in their minds about what a performance it is. They have very different expectations in this era than they did even 20 years ago about pro wrestling. So I think there's heat is a very weird thing that's really hard to define now in terms of what its value is. It does have value. I think I still believe that, yes, there is value in having heels and having faces. But I think people get really confused about and they, they use heat as, as a justification to to explain away and, and excuse bad behavior and excuse stuff that really does turn the audience off. Uh, but they just say, oh, yeah, we're going to get all this heat now. Like, I guess for for a very recent example, you know, they, they did something with, with Ruby Riot and Natalia and where they put Jim Neidhart's image on, on a table uh, because they're going to have a tables match or something, right? As, as, as if like, oh, this is going to – that will really get the heat. Let's, uh, let's you know, sort of make make light of, uh, of her dead father or whatever. And No, you're right. You're right on that. And part of it, too, is that we're so – overly broad with these definitions. So we talk about news, but clearly Fox News and MSNBC, but then he talks about sitting down to read the news, which would sound like a newspaper like New York Times or Wall Street Journal. I don't know if he uses the word read, but to be fair. (laughs) Okay. So my point is, I would say there's a very big difference between print media and publish online channels that have an advertising model in terms of how they've chosen to go to market and how they do now, do I think that print media still tries to find provoking stories? Of course, because if I just wrote stories about the yield curve every day, it would not probably be all that exciting. But if I talk about, you know, who's leaving and coming in the, you know, the, you have gossip columnists. And if it's about a celebrity, it gets put on one page. And if it's about a political figure, it goes on another page. Right. Yeah, you know, I just saw the so, Gary Hart movie. Um, What's it called? You, you did see it. The front runner. Yes. Oh, you know, my my uh, one of the improvisers. I got two stories here about improv that connect to this. Number one. Our old piano player, he used to be a talk show host in Indiana, and he was one of the leading authority figures on Gary Hart. And so every now and then he'd be like, yeah, I just did like 10 interviews. Be like, why? He's like, oh, this Gary Hart autobiography came out. So then people call me up and then I talk about Gary Mm -hmm. Hart. And at the time I thought, how weird is that? And then I was like, no, now that I'm a WrestleNomics expert, this happens all the time. And I'd be like, oh, Saudi Arabia, we got to get a wrestling expert out, you know, that sort of thing. And and by the way, we're talking about Gary Hart, the politician, not the, uh, the famous, the the, the wrestling manager, manager uh, and booker. Yes. (laughs) He was, he was famous because he, he, um, he was a leading contender for the presidency mm-hmm. and that he had a, well, he, he didn't then have an affair. He had had an affair and it came out. And then there was a lot of things like the boat, I think was called the cheating heart or something like that or monkey business, monkey business. And, and it was, it was a pretty, it was a bad scandal, but at the same time, it pales in comparison to where we are today in terms of, you know, the scandals that someone like Donald Trump has had in his presidency prior to getting elected. Um, and, and it's, it's, almost comical how different the standards have evolved in 20, 30 years here. Um, but yeah, so there's that. And number two is very first time I ever did like what I'd call semi-professional improv, which is did it not at a college level, but I did it at a legitimate equity theater. I, you know, was working with real professionals. We were paying audience. I'm getting paid. It's, it's a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. First time I ever host it's 2003. I come out and I'm like, I'm going to heal on the audience. And so I come out and I'm like, Welcome everybody 
to Buffalo. And I was in Rochester. Mm -hmm. And I thought, like, I would just get, like, booed and it would be like wrestling where I was like, ah, good heat. Any heat is good heat, right? Mm -hmm. And instead, uh, it, it was just like silence. And then I realized from the very moment I walked out on that stage, I had insulted these people. I had uh, uh, lost them and I had lost my credibility because I hadn't earned any credibility with them to insult them. And that's one of the biggest things about that's kind of what Eric Bischoff does in the, in the first few minutes of this talk. Yeah. And, and <laughs> what you realize very quickly is if you don't have credibility, then you're just a jerk. Yeah. The idea of a very effective heel is that there's always truth to what they're saying. So if they're just being a jerk, they're just being a jerk. And I think and you, have, no you have to be perceived as a star regardless. I think you have to be as perceived as a star or as powerful in some way. Yeah. You know, and, and in this case, if he was at a wrestling convention doing this, he would have gotten heat. If he's at a TEDx talk, he's not going to get that same amount of heat. And that's part of it is that he's not a star there. He's just a guy. Um, and, and there's a big difference in how that works, but it just, you know, same thing. One of, one of my, my co, my, my, uh, co, my partner in my rest, in my uh, improv company, he did the same thing. We went to the small town one time and he did this whole, like, we're from the big cities, like angle for the audience. And we we're just like, why are you healing on them? Like these people paid us to be here. They're not here to be insulted. Like he thought it would be kind of fun and they'd get interact. Like is the idea that I think a lot of wrestlers think that people feel good about booing other people. And that emotion is not always the, I think the way that wrestlers like to provoke in a way that the audience doesn't always like to provoke. Sometimes the audience just likes to be kind and supportive. And especially when you get out to the Midwest, you find that a lot where people will just kind of not want to react to you negatively. They'll just want to be quiet. Because they'd rather kind of like sit on their hands than actually boo you. Because I, in a way, you're kind of giving in to someone by booing them. I would heal a lot. I think there are, I mean, audiences are different in every promotion, every show you go to. But I think like, especially on the, the local sh level shows where it's like, whatever, two, two, three hundred people in a banquet hall. There's a lot of kids there or even, uh, you know, adults you know, who, I don't know. I think they, I think people do want to boo heels and certainly to a, to a certain extent. Um, I think I, you've created a contract though in the wrestling. You've created a context where they're expecting wrestling to be interactive in that way. Yeah. It's just, it, to me, like when people talk back to movies or talk back to the television, I would always say, I, I don't think there's a contract there. I don't expect you to talk back to the television and say, that's a dumb move, but you do in a, in, in, in a play. You know, it ha when I went and saw Hamilton here in Minnesota, if you cheered too loudly, they would come and yell at you. I'm serious about that. Like, if in the middle of a song, you're okay. like, woo, mm -hmm. they would come and they would yeah. threaten to kick you out mm -hmm. because they'd say that that's not the contract between you and the, the theater that you're in. And so I, I always think that it's very contextual where the idea that news is creating that same contract as wrestling is actually what the, the premise of this that is probably not true. Is the idea that like it's the wrestling is trying to make you angry, but to do certain things because it's also supposed to be about the cycle of vindication is the reason they're supposed to get you angry is that then you're supposed to cheer the face when they actually get their comeuppance. Yeah. The idea that the news is trying to make you angry to dot, 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 create cash is through this entire Russo Bischoff esque thinking that controversy is always good mm -hmm. and that all you have to do is do something shocking and that you'll get more money from doing it. And that is not a very 
sound premise. And I think that's a shallow way of even thinking about pro wrestling. I always argue that I think pro wrestling, we shouldn't just be satisfied to put smiles on people's faces. We should strive to, to make deep emotional connections with people. And I, I, I hear stories all the time about how wrestling's like changed people's lives or like it, it's touched people in, in a deep way. And I think the idea that, oh, just wrestling is just here to, to make you feel and to make you boo and cheer and do it, to put smiles on people's faces or to, to make these very shallow uh, engagements with people, I think is totally selling pro wrestling short. Yeah. I mean, it would be like me saying, let me just tell you, why don't you sit here and read the fraud resolution stories from my bank and then decide, you know, oh, this isn't fair. Oh, this is, this is terrible. Okay. I made you feel something. Is that good? Are you going to make more money because you're doing that? Or is that because it's completely without context? It's complete. Like, it, it's not enough just to tell stories about things that are bad. It, it's something about you have to have a larger focus around, okay, what are we doing to fix it? Or how are we addressing this issue? And the idea in wrestling is a lot of times another wrestler is supposed to come along and fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they're supposed to say, this person is being so terrible. I'm going to prove that they're wrong. Here's true. You know, when I was at the NXT house show and Heavy Machinery had like a Minnesota connection, it was like, oh, now it makes sense for like why this team is going to take on this other team and like vindicate themselves. It was, you know, because this these people are saying this city sucks, but this guy here, he represents the city. He's here to, to stand up for them. And he's authentic and he's credible, you know, because he was a 300 plus pound guy and he's authentic because he talked like a Minnesotan. And he talked about AWA and he, he talked about stuff that then people connected to. And so I was like, that, that's the key to this is that I, I think Bischoff for, I mean, if you read Bischoff's book, have you read it? No. I have a copy I can loan you and you can see that I've highlighted every time the word dirt sheet was used. Yeah. Because he used it so many times. I took out a marker and then I went back through the whole book and just started to highlight it because wow. I was so annoyed by it. Um, and, but you, you very much, I, I think it's the synthesis of the same thought, which is A, I think he's been actually making this argument well before the Trump election. And B, he is convinced that the idea that getting emotional reactions out of people is enough. That it doesn't have to be connected to anything else and dot, 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 profit. You know, step one, step two, step three. Mm -hmm. And so he's always been convinced of this. And I'm a big believer in that theater is meant to invoke emotional reactions out of people. But I also think that there's different ways to invoke those reactions. And I think being manipulative is sometimes the lowest common denominator. And I think just like in wrestling, coming out and healing on the town is not the real way to establish it, yeah. a true connection. with that, That's them. cheap heat. There are deep reactions and there are shallow reactions. Yeah. And I think and cheap I, and I think heat. has turned it on its head, right? Because now they, they, they make their catchphrase, this is the worst town I've ever been in. And mm-hmm. they sell t-shirts of that. And it's, in a way, uh, it's kind of hilarious. It, it reminds me of Rick Rue, you know, of just like it's, it's insulting like, the audience and have everybody cheer. I think it's, an, like, it's like an ironic self-reference of it's like an awareness of like, this is how people have gotten cheap heat for decades and decades. And we are going to make that our shtick. Yeah. And you are and you are, are going to be so in on it. You're going to show how in on it you are by, by actually booing us when we do that. So it's like a con- congratulate yourselves for getting the joke. So what was worse? Um, making me eat sidewalk chalk or making you watch Eric Bischoff's TEDx talk. Uh, I mean, you, you eat, you eating the, uh, I don't know what you're referring to, but the no cow protein bar, the delicious chocolate flavored, uh, no cow protein bar was, it had, had no, no joy. There was no pain involved in it for me. 
and uh, I've eaten them before and after, and I have I have no issues. So I don't know. I mean, this 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 Eric Bischoff talk wasn't the worst thing. It was interesting. It was Eric Bischoff's flawed view of of, of pro wrestling, and I think, um, you know, under I don't know under under underappreciative view of pro wrestling. But there's some there's some fair points he makes, and there's some some thought provoking stuff in it as well. Yeah, it was a uh, it was it was interesting to hear kind of what he was saying. I I think it, it's very easy sometimes to say, well, X is like Y, mm-hmm. dot dot dot, and I think a lot of the times you're being we're being really simplistic because that's almost like saying, well, you know, both infomercials and Mister Rogers are shown on a television screen mm-hmm. and they're like each other. There you go. And I remember when I was a, a kid, I, I would play a game and it was one of these things that I always think of as like my improv training. And it was that you give me two words and I will free word associate until I can get from one word to the other word by saying like, you know, you know, if you said beams and, and spam, you know, you'd be like, well, beams, beams make buildings, buildings have, have this kind of thing. They have gift shops and gift shops are like this. And then you just go keep going until you get to that other word. And you, you kind of connect them all. And I kind of feel like that's what sometimes these TEDx talks end up being. Where if I, I swear you could get, take improvisers or business leaders and give them X and Y. And then their job is to stand up there and give a presentation on why blank is like blank. And when I did Colossal Park, which was an improvised Jurassic Park-like um, show, we would open every show off by having the audience give me a four-letter word. And that would become our acronym. And then we would explain why blank was like that. We'd get the name of the park. So it'd be, you know, you're coming to, um, dome world. And, and then, and then you get an acronym like tips and they would be like, well, this is a, a a talking innovative process solution. And let me tell you all about how dome world is all about talking innovative process solutions. Each one of our domes here talks, Mm -hmm. press a button. They talk and we go through it. We would do this PowerPoint presentation where I put together nonsense PowerPoints. Maybe I'll put them up on, on the drive or something so people can see it. So I would do these like eight slide with just graphs that would say things like vitality versus ingenuity. And then it would have like, you know, crazy graphs of that. Mm-hmm. And they would do an improvised presentation. And the whole show we did, that was the most popular thing. Did you do improvised spreadsheets? Improvised In, graphs? Improvised PowerPoint presentation where they had to in- incorporate an acronym and a, a location basically into this as if they were scientists. And then we would do a Q and a session where then different people would stand up and say, I'm the head of snack security. And I uh, just want to ask you a little bit about more of the Montreal incident. And then he would, you know, give some fake answer about what was happening there. We'd go through all the different roles. And so it was a great way to start the show. And the rest of the show wasn't that great. But what was, was, was like, my thing is I love that. And I'll tell you, it's very captivating. And so, you know, in a certain way, like this whole idea of improvised TEDx talks, I know it's been done. And has it? So the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. wow. Uh, wow. And so it's it's that element where, to me, as an improviser and as a wrestling fan, it's very hard for me to buy into this stuff. Because then I'll read other things about, like, you know, how the science of power poses has been completely debunked by... Oh, has science. it? Oh, yes. no. I've been power posing in the bathroom stall for no reason then. Yes, exactly. He's right now with his arms above his head. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, like, that stuff has been completely unreplicatable. And, 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 and kind of denied, even to the point of like, even some of the most famous experiments that people are out there in like psychology that, that they've been like, yeah, we don't get nearly the same results. Or we see a lot of, uh, bias testing where they're throwing out all the results that didn't kind of conform and then reselecting the experiment until they get the sample that did what they wanted. 
and and it just strikes me very much. So it's very so I'm very cynical is what I'm trying to get at is that I can make I can teach an improviser to do this in the course of a month. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that Eric Bischoff is trying to say X is like Y, I, I I often feel like well you didn't really research this. You just kind of woke up in the mornings that I know a lot about wrestling. I get really angry at Fox News or these people get angry at Fox News. Therefore, they must be the same. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're really putting a dot, dot, dot that says because I'm Eric Bischoff in the middle there mm-hmm. is to explain why you're more credible than anyone else who would agree or disagree with you. Mookie is very so, cynical is the headline I got out of this. He is pretty darn cynical. Um, so uh, there's that. Uh, you, you had this great point about a future episode, which I don't know whether we we want to or we don't want to talk about now maybe we can keep taking some more submissions we we can talk about it for the purposes of crowdsourcing i've I've started i put a post on the uh, on the wrestlemonics reddit and a few people give me some suggestions there but i would like to maybe this is like a year-end thing this is like our last episode of the year or something we'll do uh i think since 2014 is a i mean it's sort of an arbitrary thing to say but i think 2014 uh marks a new era in professional wrestling professional wrestling history with the launch of the W network and a lot of other promotions getting into the OTT business, the video streaming business. So I think that's a good point to, to start at, uh, to look back at recent wrestling history. And a lot of things have changed since then. I don't know, just in these last five years, uh, as far as the borders between promotions changing and becoming different and contracts and look at NXT doing what it's doing now and so forth. So anyway, so I've, I've put together some, uh, some points in the timeline here. And uh, if you can think of any big moments in wrestling history since January 1st, 2014, that you think we should talk about, I think we're going to have to cut this off at some point at like the top 20 or something like that. I don't know if we're going to be here all day. But uh, yeah, a, lo- a lot of different TV deals. People have suggested the Saudi Arabia thing. Um, you know, impacts moved all over the place. WWE obviously made big TV deals. But I, I think it's something we could tackle maybe by the end of the year of uh the biggest moments in pro wrestling history of the OTT era. Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing that's happened is the interconnectivity of um, the world being able to access a streaming wrestling service and making that basically the same content and the same pricing structure around the world was huge for WWE and the imitation that we've seen. The ability of people to consume media in other countries in almost real time so that you can watch Japanese pay-per-views in real time, no matter where you live. That's enormous. Mm -hmm. The ability then to go into new marketplaces and aggressively go after them. So have new Japan come to the U S and sell out thousands of seats Mm -hmm. because they now exist in such a way that they can do that. And that people in this country are aware of it. Yeah. The fact that that did not actually revolutionize the business television rights did. In the yeah. sense that in the end, WWE is still making all of its profit out of TV and it wasn't making it out of their streaming service and it wasn't making it out of their international expansion. Yes. And that's really interesting is that in some ways, the more things change, the more they don't mm-hmm. that, that this, that the model didn't shift, that cord cutting didn't kill the business. Um, I think maybe you could add the Facebook watch inner interaction here. Thought about it. I think yeah. that there's a, a larger story around. Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix and their relationship with professional wrestling. Um, because each one of them has done a little bit, right? Netflix picked up Lucha Underground. Mm-hmm. Amazon had that, was it Destiny Pro or, um, Dojo Pro? They, Dojo Pro. 
and you know they've been rumored as a suitor in other countries based on their sports buys that they might be interested in wrestling someday. And I think there's and, one of the video, one of the wrestling video streaming services available as an add-on, an add-on to Amazon Prime. I've heard this exactly, yeah. and so that one to me is one of the biggest things is like the the interaction of the major OTT services because what I what I talk a lot about is that there's two there's the mega bundles coming someday. And that there's two versions of OTT services. There's the niche service, and then there's the wide service. A wide service like a Netflix, and this is just my own terms. I'm sure there's better terms for it. But a wide service like Netflix presents a lot of different, and there's kind of almost two different calibers of a wide service. Because there's we make our own product, and we we syndicate other people's stuff. Or we only do, um, or we just uh, aggregate other people's products. But uh, there's that, and then there's the niche. And that's like MLB TV. Where you don't sign up to MLB TV because you're really interested in watching curling. You want to watch baseball. It's a baseball related interaction. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing kind of that middle ground, like ESPN Plus, DAZN, Bleacher Report Live, where they're trying to create the mega sports service that accesses lots of different sports content. So it's kind of a little bit of both. It's a niche thing because it's only for one type of programming, but at the same time, it's appealing to many different sports. And so that will be very interesting. So I, I think there's something about the interaction between the the largest streaming service bundles and professional wrestling um, is definitely one of them. And I, th- I think uh, that one of the big questions is, there, is there like, is there a critical mass? Is there a sufficient critical mass of wrestling fans to support this bundle that you're theorizing? Well, it, it depends on what kind of bundle I'm saying. Like I, a lot of these are not built on wrestling fans. Like ESPN plus is not built on wrestling fans. It's built on sports fans for boxing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. a bundle wrestling service. Like, I mean, Full, yeah, yeah. Full Slam tried and, I mean, didn't have all the parts, but tried and it didn't work. Yeah. Um, you wonder whether the MSG thing is a good example of what changed in, in um, wrestling. The idea that, you know, the stranglehold of WWE on live events is beginning to, to weaken in some ways. Stranglehold. Are you writing, are you writing an article, a headline or something? Yeah. Um, I think one other element that would be an interesting story to kind of uh, review is the rise of convention wrestling. So the idea of the, the WrestleMania weekend and wasn't it like 2014 was like the first big one uh, where, where all these indie groups kind of tried to build around WrestleMania at the same time. We would have to go back and look. I, I mean, I know Evolve's been doing it since way back. Yeah. But I mean, it. yeah, but, but it, there was a, there was a, point when it changed it mm-hmm. went from being like three or four shows to 20 and suddenly it was a profitable model for someone yeah. and in a sense all in was predicated on the idea that wrestlemania weekends could be so profitable and could if you just get enough talent there there yeah. is enough unsigned talent to make things interesting for people yeah well so I, I i think that's one of the so i the wrestle the idea of the wrestling convention i think is really one of the biggest movements mm-hmm. in in the new model for how to make a profitable event. Well, there, there's the closing argument to our sh- a show we haven't done yet, but yeah. Um, and so those would all be things. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody who's tried to launch, who hasn't really gotten off the ground. Um, you know, a whole Kogan story is, is fascinating in itself. Just all the, the interactions between media and whatnot, and the fact that, you know, of all the people in the world to be suing Gawker, it would be, end up being Hulk Hogan mm-hmm. and that. Um, I feel free I to add these lot as, of as, as notes stuff. in here. I, I mean, the biggest development for me is that WWE hasn't lost their lawsuits. 
because they they could have lost a con- concussion lawsuit. They could have lost um, a lot of the other, you know, different royalties lawsuits. They could have lost a lot of things that would have been very detrimental to them. Independent contractor lawsuits. Um, the fact that they got through the Benoit uh, stuff basically unregulated in the end. And in the last piece, you know, the most other big significant event is just the trade-offs between MMA and wrestling. You know, WWE helped fuel the growth for UFC. UFC kind of ate their lunch for a while. And then eventually, WWE takes back Brock Lesnar, eventually mm-hmm. signs Ronda Rousey, yep. and UFC walks in with their $4 billion valuation and starts going around, striding around about how important they are. And Fox basically says, I'm not interested in paying that, and then turns around and gives that money to WWE. I think a lot of people kind of misunderstand that a lot of the reasons Fox Sports wanted to go with WWE is basically because UFC pissed them off. And that if UFC hadn't pissed them off, WWE probably would have still signed a very good deal with somebody else. But would probably not have gotten such a great deal. And according to some of you who talked to Variety from Fox, they think WWE is going to be easier to sell than UFC. Yeah. I, I don't think that UFC was their... You know, they, it wasn't their prime choice 100% of the time, but, you know, the fact that UFC was playing so hard to get, Fox basically cut them off their knees. It's very similar to the way, uh, you know, Spike cut off, uh, uh, or, or TNN or whatever they were called at the time, cut off WWE years ago when they could tell they were being played by WWE. They mm-hmm. basically came back and said, we're not going to negotiate with you anymore. And they came begging on their knees to USA to get a deal. So all that's coming. Um, the other, you know, other things that we always talk about, you and I, uh, new co-presidents, just the structure in WWE really revolutionizing the different roles. I think the role of developmental is really dramatically changed. The fact that, at, yeah, and, and you make a point here about NXT sells out Barclays in yeah. 2015. Yeah. Uh, you, you could make a very good argument that basically that's the day when you realize, oh my God, NXT is not meant to be a quote unquote developmental brand. NXT is meant to be a, third leg of the strategy for creating meaningful growth on wrestling worldwide and perhaps today we are actually at the cusp of the next growth which is the nxt uk and nxt chile or nxt latin america and nxt germanization yeah yeah we'll talk about that in some future episode even more than we already just did well those are all just me just saying this was interesting and this was interesting and this is interesting i the last piece i would be really curious about is what didn't happen who did we think was getting into wrestling? Who did we think was going to um, get bigger that didn't happen? Who was going to buy one of these groups? You know, the fact that Billy Corgan didn't buy yeah. TNA. What happened because TNA ended up going to Anthem? Mm-hmm. What happened because Ring of Honor was bought by Sinclair instead and Sinclair wasn't able to merge with Tribune? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's those what if stories. And then, you know, the election of Donald Trump, I think, had a huge impact here because you, you can't deny the fact that Lynn, Vince's wife being in the cabinet and Vince's friend being the president of the United States does not in some way avoid WWE from having to take the right amount of heat for something like the Saudi Arabia government deal. Mm-hmm. It maybe emboldens them on some things. I think so. Yeah. So different thoughts. Uh, go to our Reddit. Um, I hopefully Brandon will post this list that you've come up with already on that Reddit thread. So people can kind of see what you've already said. Okay. So I think if, if you don't do that, then, then you're going to get the same ideas over and over again. Yeah. So let's let's add to that. Okay. Um, if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend. Uh, next week, I think we'll have a show in the weekend. Shouldn't be a problem. Week after that's going to be crazy hard, but hopefully we can make it work. Maybe we'll be live. I'll be in I'll be in Rochester the week after next. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe Brandon and I will be sitting on the couch. Oh, are you, are you going to come here? I think yeah, you might come to where I am. That's right. <laughs> uh, I have a, I actually do have a hotel room, so yeah. we'll at least we'd be able because otherwise there's eight kids where I'm going to be. Oh my god. I have no, an, an unused hotel room. Did I already tell you this? On air or off? I can't remember. I have an unused hotel room by the airport if you need it tonight in Buffalo. Chicktawaga. Yeah. Are you sure you can't cancel? When, I, when we bought it, it was, I remember sitting there at the laptop being like, you know, with Mikey, like, it's non-refundable, right? Yep, non-refundable. Okay, here we go. Are you sure about this? Yep, okay, non-refundable. Take our chances. Non-refundable. <laughs> I guess I can try. Well, I think you should go there and just sleep in the bed. Just to yeah, just, just say it with you. Just get my money's worth. Yeah, because if there's one lesson you've never learned, it's the idea of sunk cost. Mm-hmm. That's how I made my fortune by always getting my, my money's worth. <gasps> Very true. Well, thanks everyone for uh, listening to uh, Russell Nomics Radio. I am at Okigana. Brandon is at, at Brandon Thurston. Uh, the Span Museum is at the Austin, Minnesota uh, location. Mm-hmm. And. Um, you can find out more about WrestleMomics anytime by just Googling WrestleMomics space Brandon space co-op. And uh, you'll, you'll learn all about the farmer's market slash uh, sponsorship opportunities on the show. Mm-hmm. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.